Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is May 18th, 2016. This is episode 1789 of the Survival Podcast, and I've got a good one for you today. We're going to actually talk about politics today. Yep, politics with someone that I guess you'd call more a bureaucrat than a politician, but one of the good guys. I'm going to bring on a guy today named Stephen Donahue. He is currently uh, part of the County Planning and Zoning Commission for his county, and he he does his work with a philosophy of non-aggression. He takes no salary for the work that he does, and he is there to try to get the government to do less to interfere with individual and property rights rather than more. Um, he's in an appointed position. It's kind of a unique thing that he's doing, and it's something that others may be able to figure out how to do elsewhere. As I've said many times on this show, I am not a political person. I don't consider, I consider myself an anti-political person. I certainly don't get involved in the political process. I believe there's what you call pushers and pullers in changing the way we do business in the world. And the pushers are those that work from the inside and the pullers are those that work from the outside. I don't claim that one's better than the other. I think we need both. So you'll hear the other side of the story today and some really interesting things and some actual, you know, victories for the cause of liberty. You know, accomplished by a single person willing to take that step who's, you know, the right guy for that type of position. We'll talk about all that more in a bit. Before we do, let's go ahead and take a look at the year that was the episode. The year is 1789 because the episode is 1789. I have God is in his heaven and a new government is in America. And I have storming the Bastille. And I have in other news. In other news, is just some bullet points, so I'll read those. Thomas Jefferson is named Secretary of State. He's in France right now and doesn't realize he's now part of the Washington administration. Mad King George III recovers from his mental illness. By 1810, he will become ill again and suffer from dementia. And mutiny on the HMS Bounty. Mr. Christian and the mutineers settle on the Picturn Islands. Captain Bly is set adrift in a boat. He will make it back to England. So most people have heard about mutiny on the bounty. Well... That occurred in this year, 1789. Of the two features, I'm going to read God is in his heaven and a new government in America. Quote, We are in a wilderness without a single footstep to guide us. End quote. James Madison, June 1789. The Constitution of the United States is now law in 11 states. North Carolina and Rhode Island are still debating. Elections are held and it is George Washington versus 14 other candidates. Guess who wins? According to the Constitution, the loser with the most electoral votes becomes vice president. That is John Adams. Believe it or not, the old Continental Congress can get a quorum, cannot get a quorum, to dissolve itself. So two members meet in a tavern, adjourn, and fade away. The first Congress of the United States meets in the recently renovated Federal Hall in New York. Church bells ring. There are no political parties, but some representatives self-identify as Federalists. Although George Washington is sympathetic with the Federalists, he avoids any party affiliation. The Anti-Federalists want a Bill of Rights, and James Madison made a campaign promise to propose changes to the Constitution. Few people want to touch the founding document, so Madison's proposal is sent to a committee, and after much wrangling, a final draft of ten amendments, a Bill of Rights is approved and sent to the states for ratification. No one was punched in the nose. That was a real possibility. My take by Alex Shrugged, who puts these together for us at tspwiki.com. 
With fear and trembling, I point out that the Continental Congress never formally dissolved itself. Therefore, it is possible, but unlikely, that it could reconvene for a special session in the future. While the new Congress was at work on the Bill of Rights, the new Senate was deciding how to address the President. John Adams pushed for His Highness. Others suggested His Excellency, which was a title that Washington used during the war. They settled on Mr. President. At least anyone think this debate was frivolous. The next time you visit the U.S. Capitol building, Rotunda, look up. God is in his heaven, and so is George Washington. The fresco entitled The Apothesis of Washington, meaning the deification of Washington. It was completed in 1863. I recall a controversial painting portraying President Obama's Jesus on the cross. This is nothing new. It's just new to this generation. We will survive. You know, I wonder, given it was 1863 when this was complete, completed, and the nation was in the, the throes of the Civil War, if that had anything to do with that fresco being painted, or if it was started as big of orc as it is prior to that even occurring, or what role that had in it. I'll leave my comments to that at that point. Actually, what I want to talk about is the Bill of Rights, and the debate that our founders had about the Bill of Rights. The people that were for the Bill of Rights, Mr. Madison, of course, being chief among them, said that... If we do not lay down restrictions against government, then this government will grow to be more oppressive than the monarchy we've left behind. That's a paraphrase, not an exact quote. The, the counter-argument wasn't, oh, we want that. that. We need a government with all this power. Actually, the counter-argument made some sense, too. It was, if we specifically forbid the, the government from doing certain things, in the future, the government will be able to do things we can't even think of yet because things will change. They understood technology advancing, for instance. And therefore, the, the, the governments of the future will say, since it doesn't say that we can't do that, that we can. And people will actually lose liberty when you think you're trying to give them more. Um, thankfully, cooler heads prevailed, and there was... Two things done in addition to eight amendments to make sure that that happened, and they are the, the Ninth and Tenth Amendments. First, they said, just so that we, we, we don't have that little problem occur, in the Ninth Amendment, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. In other words, just because a right isn't specifically protected by the Constitution does not mean that it doesn't exist. And specifically, since just because it's not in this Bill of Rights that this is part of doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So if there are already rights that are inherent to people that are accepted as rights, you can't point to the Constitution and say those rights don't exist because they're not specifically protected. We don't really teach that anymore. I, I, I wonder why. Because if we want to teach the rights come from government, this kind of counters that, doesn't it? Then there is the Tenth Amendment. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. So what the Tenth basically says, guys, is unlike the rights of the people, the powers of the federal government are specific and spelled out in the Constitution. And if it does not say that they can do something, they're not supposed to do it, those rights are then reserved to the states or to the people. And the, the states only have that power if it's not prohibited. So there are certain things that states cannot do that are specifically prohibited by the Constitution, and certain things the federal government can do that are empowered by the Constitution. And if they're not prohibited to the states, then the states can do them. If they are, then the, the people retain those powers and can decide whether or not they ever let them do them. Huh.
But I thought the 10th Amendment was all about racism in the Civil War. No, folks. No, folks. It's 1789. 10th Amendment has nothing to do with slavery. The 10th Amendment is not even just about states' rights. It's about the rights of the people. And if, those, if the people have not willingly granted powers to government, the government is not supposed to have it. But what do I know? I'm just a crazy redneck duck farmer from Texas. Next up, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Hey, folks, if silver and gold are not part of your current economic preparedness plan, they should be. In fact, for over eight years, I have recommended that listeners keep 5% to 10% of their wealth in precious metals as a wealth assurance program. And JM Bullion is my personal choice for all my precious metal purchases. They offer some of the best pricing in the industry and free shipping on top of it. Check out jmbullion.com to learn more. You know, Western Botanicals is my personal first choice for everything herbal, from whole raw herbs to preparations and ointments. In fact, two products I use all the time from Western Botanicals are the deep heat ointment and the turmeric combo. Western Botanicals is the no-nonsense, no-hype herbal source you can trust. Learn more at westernbotanicals.com. With that knocked out, before I bring Stephen on, I want to let you know we do have the, the subjects uh, for voting. For June, uh, Tuesday shows, Tuesday shoes of shows of course, shoes, Tuesday shows of course are the shows that are just Jack, where I take a subject and I dissect it or I educate on it or what have you, and I put up eight. The four that could come in the highest will be the ones that are done in June. You have about two weeks to vote on these as we run out May, and here are the 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 subjects in the order they're as far as they're performing. In the poll right now, so the first one is, is that the, the number one voted for as of this morning. I'm recording this in the afternoon, so it could have changed. A lot of it's neck and neck. About 150 people have voted since I published the poll last night. Here's the subjects, though. Again, in order of performance at this point, and this is anybody's race at this point, there are two weeks to vote for the ones you want to hear. Four years of flux. The rapid changes between now and 2020. Uh, that's performing number one. The next one, your first rear, year, the first rear, I'm messing stuff up today, guys. I'm sorry. Your first year on a new homestead, taking actions without regretting them. This, look, what, could you think, your first rear on a new homestead, taking actions without regretting, I was actually kind of funny. Uh, but that's performing number two. And then number three so far is eating like a king on a below average income. So how you can eat really great without spending a lot of money. Number four, the 12 planks of modern survivalism, a revisit eight years after I first created them. So right now, if the voting was closed, those would be the four shows. The other one's in the running, and two of them are really, really in the running, like one or two votes out. Building resilient children in a world full of wusses. Next, how to get started with Bitcoin, setting up accounts, sending, receiving, etc. Uh, number seven, aquaculture for protein production. And number eight, selecting and understanding bullet types for hunting, practice, and tactical use. Uh, the last two were um, part of last month's poll. They didn't win. If they don't win this month, they'll get punted into the distant future, just like all the other stuff that didn't make it through the second round uh, once again. So please get over and vote. Unlike the federal elections, your vote really does count here. There's not that huge of a, a number of people that do vote. You do have to register for the forum, but it's easy, and no one's going to bother you once you register for the forum. You can just register just to vote if you want to do that. And it does help to build the forum and the discussion there. Also, it is in these polls that you can say, but next month I want to hear about whatever, and I'll use the post there to help me determine my subject matter for the next month's polling for July. So I really hope you guys get on over there and tell me what you think and vote. Because remember, I've put the show at this point almost 100% in the hands of the audience. 
If you don't like the content, get involved, right? Because Monday's show is all listener feedback. Tuesday is chosen from polling just like this. You get to pick what you want. Wednesday, we do have a guest. But most of my guests come from audience members and say, hey, go get on Jack's show. Um, Thursday, we do listener calls. That's all you. And Friday, we do expert counsel, which is all you asking questions of the council. So you guys, this is your show now, almost 100%. Um, I did that because I have complete faith in this audience and this community, and I appreciate the support you've done and provided for me over the last eight years. And it's my way of saying, hey, you guys get to be captains of this ship. We're not going to have a mutiny. I'm not going to be, you know, Captain Bly or whatever. <laughs> and with that, uh, I want to welcome our special guest at this time, Mr. Stephen Donahue. Uh, Stephen, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks, Jack. It's good to be here. Man, I'm, I'm glad to have you here. This is an interesting topic to uh, talk about. We're going to talk about local opportunities to influence policy toward freedom today. That was your proposed topic, and I love that because I think that uh, a lot of the opportunities to do that at the federal or even state level are, well, they're the carrot in front of the dumb donkey. But uh, before we get into that, could you just give people a little bit about your background, what you do professionally, and how you got into doing that, and you know, kind of right up to the point where you got involved with this. Like, How did you get to there? Who are you? Okay. Yeah, that's good. And uh, first of all, let me say, Jack, I really appreciate your show. I've been listening to it back since the car days. And uh, you have actually been somewhat instrumental in uh, helping me move towards the direction of liberty. And uh, so I'm grateful for you. And I also have to say that um, you've got a, a real knack for podcasting. I've tried doing uh, my hand at podcasting a little bit, and it, it is much more difficult than what people make it out to be. So um, great job on your show. Now, uh, I actually um, kind of grew up in a basically a, a neutral home politically, and uh, I, I went more towards conservative Republican for quite some time, and then it was Ron Paul that actually got me directed towards uh, liberty and liberty-minded ideas and politics from a, a libertarian perspective, and uh, I began to listen to more and more podcasts. I have uh, as part of my work, I have the opportunity to be able to listen to podcasts pretty much all day. I have a window cleaning business. And so, you know, while I'm cleaning windows, I can just listen to stuff all day long, which is great because it's been good for my education and, and good for uh, me to be able to learn different things. And <clears throat> so uh, once I um, once I started the shift towards uh, liberty and Ron Paul ideas, then um, I, you know, I started listening to a bunch of other things and your show was also about that time that I started listening to that. And, you know, for a while I was, uh, interested in trying to change things at the national level and at the state level. And just as you, uh, mentioned, it, it, it's pretty hopeless. There's not a lot of opportunity there. Um, but, uh, there was a friend of mine who ran for board of supervisors in my district and uh, at the uh, as a Republican, and he was actually uh, he did not get the nomination at the Republic as a Republican candidate, and so he went third party. And um, when he did went third party, he actually won the whole thing and got the board of supervisor seat. And then it was a couple years later that uh, the seat for the Planning and Zoning Commission came available, and he asked me if I wanted to be on it. So that's kind of how I got to there, and. Um, it's been an interesting, interesting journey. So again, you were appointed to this, so this was not an elected position. That is correct. Yeah, it's not elected position. The board of supervisors is an elected position. This is an appointed position, and planning and zoning commission 
uh, their basic job is to um, uh, give recommendations to the Board of Supervisors regarding planning and zoning issues. So we don't really make policy. We just advise the board on how we think they ought to vote. And that board, is that board an elected body? It is. Okay. Yeah. It gets gray real quick, doesn't it? Uh, right. It sure does. And you decided to get involved at the local level, um, and specifically with the policy of non-aggression. Um, yes. Why did you do that, and how has that been received? Do you ever actually use that term when you're talking with these people, or is that just your guiding philosophy and you use their lingo? Or Well, sometimes I do a little bit of both. Yeah, when I was asked to do it originally, I told the, the friend of mine who's the board of supervisor for my district, I told him, you know, I don't want to be involved in politics. And he goes, well, you're just the kind of person we need this. <laughs> and um, so I, yeah, I talked to, I talked to my son. He said, well, you know, if you can't, you can't complain about anything going on with local levy if you don't get involved. So, um, I, I went ahead and told him that I would on two conditions. One, that I would only vote for something if it lessened the amount of aggression. And number two, that I wouldn't take pay for it. And so, um, they agreed, uh, the actual not getting paid for was kind of a challenge. They didn't know how to, they didn't know how to deal with my paperwork. <laughs> You sound like what's his name from Chrysler Iacocca when he showed up with a check to pay back yeah. Chrysler's debt, and and Reagan was like, "We don't know how to do. We never thought you were like they didn't know what to do. Yeah, you know, a lot smaller amount of yeah. money, but see, they were a bureaucrat. It could be a dollar or a million dollars. They still have to check a box, and they don't know what to do when it's not there. Right. At first, they said, "Well, because uh, I asked, I said, well, can you reduce my property taxes by the amount that you'd pay me?'" Oh. And they said do that we'll just we'll reduce your proper we'll we'll pay the salary and then give you the um and have it transferred over the property i said no that's not what i want i don't i don't want any money from the county i just don't want to, have to pay as much yeah they, they couldn't do that so i just so i just opted for just not getting anything <laughs> well it, it, it certainly gives you uh credibility then uh, of not being doing something for money or and it also is very much then a non-aggression consistent thing because if you're getting money you're getting money that was taken from somebody else, right? Where in this case, you're getting no money. Therefore, you're, you're, there's no aggression there to take that money. And if you, if they had done what you asked, then they're simply not using aggression against you. So, uh, interesting proposal, right. but it doesn't surprise me they couldn't figure out how to do it. Yeah. Well, that was precisely why I did it is I wanted to be consistent. And, you know, it's not a lot of money to begin with anyway. And there, and there's different views. Uh, you know, libertarians have different views on whether or not you should take money from the, from the state or from, you know, tax money or whatever. Uh, but just for, for the sake of keeping things consistent, I, you know, I said, I can't, I can't work towards non-aggression if I'm forcing people to pay me. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, uh, it just, I it, agree, it, it, but I wouldn't right. fault someone who, who saw it a different way if they were doing good things, honestly, because the alternative right. is somebody in there taking as much as they can get. And at the same time, bringing more aggression onto the people they're supposed to be serving. So, um, exactly. You're right. Not everybody's going to agree about that, and they never will. I, you know, personally, my my view is I, I want nothing to do with government, public works, any of it. But part of that is not just philosophy. It's also understanding who I am and what my strengths and weaknesses are. Um, so mm -hmm. I'm all about non-aggression principle. I get all of that, but on the other side of it, I also realize we need people doing what you're doing. Those people need to be somewhat diplomatic. And you can't be telling people that you're a bunch of jackasses. 
um, which would be probably tame for me. So I know mm. that's just not my place, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't support somebody doing it for the right reasons, such as yourself. We need people kind of pushing and pulling to move things in the right direction. And I, I kind of see the outsiders like me, we're the ones pulling, and then the insiders are the ones pushing, and you get more traction if you're doing both. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I I, I would not uh, fault anybody who certainly did not want to get in politics. I didn't want to. And, you know, I really don't consider this politics. And sadly, um, you know, I, I really would be considered a county bureaucrat, which just drives me crazy because that's the last thing I want to be. But, um, you know, I, I look at it as a almost uh, like Ron Paul looked at Congress as an educational opportunity. You know, Ron Paul really didn't do much in Congress in terms no. of actually getting legislation passed. And, um, you know, I, I have had a little bit of input on being able to, you know, liberalize some of the ordinances and things like that. But uh, my, my effect, I hope, is is more educational. Every time I get a chance to speak on an issue, I'm able to bring up alternatives to government force. And I'm able to bring up, uh, you know, opportunities to do it a different way and why, uh, you know, there's all different kinds of problems with the way that they're proposing. And, um, you know, if that's all the effect I have, well, then that's great. <laughs> No, that, that's actually very true because, I mean, Ron Paul said in his own farewell address where he uh, awesomely kind of called the entire Congress a bunch of psychopaths to their face that he didn't get a lot done inside Congress. But I can't think of a person, certainly in the last 20 years, that's done more to awaken people toward liberty than Ron Paul. So the effectiveness is more about how you use the platform than what you get done inside a corrupt system. But, you know, kind of with yeah. that in mind, have you been able to make a difference in what you're doing, you know, actually in a nuts and bolts way, in any any real measurable way? Yeah, I think I have. And, it, you know, it's a matter of degrees, because obviously I, I would uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, with Tom Woods, but he has a, a book out called The Index Card of Allowable Opinion. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like uh People want to argue whether or not we should make everybody plant two rows of trees or plant one row of trees. And, I, you know, I, I try to get there and say, well, why are we making them plant any kind of trees? Sure. But, you know, if they only have to plant one versus two, well, that's better. And so it's a matter of degrees, which has been <laughs> real frustrating because I would I would love to just, you know, nix the whole thing. But if I can get a little bit of progress, I, I'm grateful for it. So let me give you a couple of examples. We had a, uh, a revision to our sign ordinance um, late last year, and it was a it was a real uh, real deal. The, the ordinance that we had be, before this was was just cumbersome and annoying, and just really problematic for a lot of businesses and everything else. And so it was right that we revised it. Now, of course, in the revision, uh, most everybody on the commission wanted to no, not allow like electronic lights and no flashing lights and uh, you know all these kinds of things. And uh, you'll probably laugh at this, Jack, but the, the main reason everybody brought was, you know, they're a distraction to drivers and it might be a problem for their, uh, you know, for there to be flashing lights because people might be distracted by it. They might be trying to read the electronic sign as it scrolls by or whatever, you know. And so I, one of the arguments I try to use is, you know, argument by the absurd. And I said, well, what about, you know, a, a good looking hunting dog going by and you're, I live out in the country. Yeah. If somebody, you know, wants to watch the good looking hunting dog go by or during hunting season, a deer runs by and they're, you know, they're looking for the deer out the window. They're going to be distracted by that. 
And, you know, does that mean that we need to outlaw deers running across the road or we need to outlaw people walking their dogs next? I mean, it's just ridiculous the level of insanity people can get to. So, uh, not, not, needless to say, what Poor happened person, was... right? That person was too attractive and they distracted the driver and then they had a wreck. Yeah, exactly. So now you have to be ugly when you're outside. I mean, that is... Right. I mean, I, I said that exactly. I said, what about in the summertime? You got somebody walking by in a swimsuit or whatever and a guy, you know, sees the sees the lady walking by and she's attractive and he's distracted because he takes a second look. I mean, that's just, you know, you've got to get to some level where you're saying, you know what, enough is enough. And um, so uh, what ended up happening, to make a long story short, was that the uh, we, we liberalized the policy quite a bit, um, but it wasn't nearly as far as I would like. And uh, it, it, I have to applaud the the actual elected officials in this case, because what the commission recommended, I did not vote for it, of course, but what the commission recommended um, was actually even more liberalized by the elected officials. And to, to show you some of the ludicrousy of it, we had a, one of the best businesses in our county. Um, they, they sell uh, tractors and things like that, but one of the best businesses in our county, they had all kinds of banner signs advertising Husqvarna and all these kinds of things. And um, they they would have been out of compliance on almost all of their signs uh, if the sign amend or if the sign ordinance passed. Hmm. And uh, I'm like, look, we're we're trying to find more businesses in this county, and here we are making one of them out of compliance by passing the sign ordinance. So um, we did make progress on that. We we made it so that a lot more than what used to be allowed is allowed. Um, and so, you know, I was glad to see that. And then just real recently, one that I think will probably hit home with a lot of your listeners is um, we had an issue with a gentleman who came and purchased a, a piece of property that was zoned rural in our zoned uh, residential in um, in our county. And our county is a it's pretty much an agricultural county and and uh, it's very, very rural. We live about an hour west of Richmond, Virginia. And um uh, so they purchased, I think it was like 10 or 15 acres of property, and they thought it was zoned agricultural. And so they wanted to raise a couple of horses and some chickens, and, you know, they wanted to do kind of the, the backyard homestead type thing. Yeah. And when they found out that it was rural, uh, that it was residential, and they weren't allowed to do that, they, you know, they came to the uh, to Planning and Zoning Commission asking for a conditional use permit. And uh, so, um, you know, I was glad to know that the everybody was in favor of of not only granting the conditional use permit, but we actually uh, reclassified uh, what was allowed in the residential areas, so that some of the residential areas can have different animals. And um, you know, again, I would hope that people could have whatever they wanted to on their own property as long as it didn't bother the neighbor. But I was glad that we were able to at least uh, allow more than what they had. So uh, that was another small victory that I was. That's actually not a small victory to me. That's a huge victory because that was kind of like somebody came and said, "Can we do this?" And you and you guys were able to say, "Well, why don't we let everybody do this?" Um, because this is preposterous that people can't do this. Where there have been individuals who have had to fight for two, three, four, five years, I've heard just to be able to simply keep four chickens in a backyard or something like that. So right. to me, that's a that's a massive victory that was probably easier to do because someone like you was on the inside 
than if somebody had just been fighting it. Because that's what we always hear. You got to fight for these things. But again, push and pull at the same time. Right. That's exactly right. And you know, one of my philosophies with doing this is, uh, let's, let's suppose that, that right now the ordinance is at an eight in terms of aggression against property owners. Yeah. And, uh, and the most of the commission wants to go to a six. Well, I'll press for a four and hope they get to five. Of course. Why wouldn't you? I mean, that's just, yeah. that, that's just, that's just the way it works. And so, you know, obviously if I said, well, let's not do anything, which I normally preface it with, uh, then, you know, that's not going to fly. But if I can, like, like, for example, with the, the animal units, uh, they had, um, I, I don't remember exactly the details, but it was, you know, so many, um, uh, so many horses per acre and so many chickens per acre. And, you know, they had different things. Well, they didn't have anything listed for sheep and goats. And, you know, so I pressed to have sheep and goats allowed in there. And of course that was allowed. And, uh, you know, I, there was issues regarding, um, uh, keeping them in containers, uh, you know, making sure that they're, they're housed properly. And I talked about how the, a lot of the movement today is towards, um, you know, grass fed chicken. And so if, if they can do some kind of portable container, will that be allowed? And so we were able to pass that. And so just little steps like that is just, is, is helpful. And, uh, so I, I thought that to be a, um, you know, a good, uh, a good way to progress towards liberty, even though it's not all the way we like. Well, and it's a start, right? So that when you are able to get government to, when you ever, whenever you're able to get government to remove a restriction period, you've made a huge advancement because it's much more difficult to get government to remove a restriction than apply a restriction. Because there's right. a, what, what bad could happen if we do this? Where people feel like, well, we can add a law and that just either creates a revenue stream or we're doing it to react to something or we've been lobbied into it. But when you remove something, there's this fear that there'll be anarchy, right? With the, with the misunderstanding of what that word means to the extreme. There'll just be chickens mm -hmm. on top of everybody's roof. And, and let's be honest. If you, t if you made a, a federal, uh, chicken freedom law, that said everybody anywhere in America on their own property that has an actual yard, so you can't do it in an apartment complex, can have up to four chickens. They can have more. It's up to local ordinances from there. But you can't, like the Chicken Freedom Amendment to the Constitution. It's not like 150 million Americans are going to run out and get a chicken the next day. It's actually a right. relatively small number of us that want to do these things and – The people that want to do it want to do it responsibly, and as it spreads from there, it gets spread in a responsible manner. Because the number one reason people don't get chickens or quail or rabbits is fear. I won't be able to do it right. I, you know, I won't be able to take care of them. They're going to die, what have you. There are people that are, you know, animal abusers. You're not going to control them anyway. They do, they do their stuff right. with no regard. So if we pull off a restriction and then people implement it, nothing bad happens. You know, right. there's not a bunch of protesters out screaming, take the chickens away. No one's calling for anybody's job or anything like that. And, okay, guys, we did that, and no one, no one, no one died. The chicken plague hasn't come. The chicken apocalypse is not here. Maybe we can consider giving more freedom, and maybe people will like that, too. You mentioned Ron Paul in the beginning, and people were asking him, you know, like, why do you think heroin should be legal? And, you know, he said, well, Let's back off from heroin. Maybe if we gave you a little bit of freedom, you'd like it and want more. And we'd see how far we'd go before we worry about heroin, right? Because right. prohibition just doesn't work, and we know that. But the, the, the converse argument is, why don't we start somewhere? 
And, and I think if you start somewhere, you start to take away the fear because politicians tend to do things for fear above all else. Fear I won't raise enough money. Fear I'll get voted out of office. Fear I'm going to have a bunch of people angry with me. And it's easier to leave things alone or take away more than it is to, 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 to take back a law. When you retract a law, I think that's one of the most scary things that a, a politician could ever, you know, advocate. Right, absolutely. And, you know, I think, Jack, one of the things that people uh, misunderstand is that so many people are afraid of true liberty because they, they confuse what we have in our country with liberty. And I know you've mentioned this before, but, you know, when I try to argue for allowing people to do what they want to on their own property, very often people come back and say, well, then you're going to have a corporation dumping waste in the rivers and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> The, the only the only way a corporation's able to dump waste in the rivers is because they have a connection with politicians that allow them to do it. Yeah. But true true freedom wouldn't allow to do that. And a couple of examples with that is that you know the the free market regulates itself very very well. Uh, the, go back to the uh, the sign issue. As soon as we allowed for electronic signs and it was passed, one of the churches in our community. Uh, put out a, uh, a sign, a scrolling sign that was, uh, I think, maybe uh, red and green or something like that. So it kind of looked like a stop sign. And um, it was, you know, right out on our main road. And, uh, you know, they had it out there, I think, for like maybe a week or so. And, and people started calling and saying, can you change the color of it or whatever? Well, they changed the color of it. So now it's like, I think, an orange or something like that. And it's not a, it's not a big deal. And it's subdued. Well, why'd they do that? They did that because of the pressure of the community. They didn't require some law to be passed saying you couldn't have red and white signs or red and green signs. It was just the community rising up. And a similar issue, just real recently, we had somebody um, requesting a, uh, a waiver on their use permit. Uh, they had a, um, a piece of property that they were working on building a community center on. And uh, based upon the restrictions that are upon it now, uh, and the size of it, they had to pave their drive or pave their parking lot. And this person requested a waiver on the paint, uh, the paving of the parking lot because, uh, there was just, you know, a lot of different issues going into it. And, uh, one of the big complaints that a lot of people on the, uh, planning commission had was, well, if we don't require him to, pave his parking lot or we don't require at least a certain amount of gravel, uh, you know, on there at all times, then, you know, he'll just have a mud lot and you'll have these cars going in and out of his parking place and, and they'll be bringing mud onto the, onto the main roads. And then that causes a, you know, a slippery factor on the main roads and it's right near a stop sign and people are going to have wrecks and accidents and all this kind of stuff. And, and I came back, I said, do you really think a business and th this was a business that was, try that, that was trying to market itself as, you know, doing like weddings and things like this. Do you really think a business that is trying to do weddings is going to have a parking lot full of mud so that when the, the wedding party gets out and they step into this mud, they're going to be happy? They've got a business in a heartbeat if they did that. They're not going to do that. Yeah. But people don't realize, people don't realize the effect that the market has on regulating businesses itself. Because the and, more you um, regulate it, the more you remove the effect of the market, right? Or exactly. the more you, you remove the effect of public pressure. We think that government is public pressure. Government is privately controlled pressure in a monopoly. Public pressure right. is the people around you don't like what you're doing, and if there's no 
wall of the state to protect you from that, you're either going to have to deal with it due to monetary consequences or, frankly, physical consequences. The whole thing about dumping stuff in the river. My response to that is, is there anybody dumping stuff into our rivers now? Yes. Why don't you do something about it? Because I can't. Well, why not? Because they're protected. Protected by what? The state. So the law that you think protects you from them dumping it in is actually preventing you from doing something about it. Because if there was no one that would st stop you from stopping them, and some guy was going to start pumping chemicals into your local river on a daily basis, and the whole town knew it, and they relied on that river, and they knew there was no repercussions for them preventing it, there was no facade of legitimacy, do you really think they'd all just sit there and go, oh, well, there's, there's nothing we can do? Or do you think they might all go down there and go, you know what? You, you're not, you're not going to be doing that. And right. how easy would it be to get away with it in that situation versus how easy it is to say, well, we filtered this and we did that. And we complied with these laws that we wrote that we, you know, we put into an organization like Alec or something and uh, we just got all this done. So it's, it's all okay. We paid our pollution credit or whatever. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, the reality of it is a, a lot of the issues that are brought up by these people can be solved by protecting property rights. And, you know, if there's somebody dumping, you know, waste into a river, which, you know, there are some people doing that, just as you mentioned, but if that's being happened, what needs to happen then is that those who are being affected along the property line of that river, really their, their property is being affected and there should be a lawsuit involved so that justice is served. But um, because, just as you mentioned, the larger corporations have an out or they have some kind of waiver or they have some kind of EPA, uh, you know, connection or something like that. They can get away with it. But, um, you know, no one wants to have junk dumped in the river. No. But the government, the government's not the solution for fixing it. <laughs> well, and I would say this, like, okay, I would prefer a stateless society, but that ain't going to happen in my lifetime. So if we're going to say there's a rule of law, we have to start with the root of law, which is common law. And under common right. law, traditionally navigable waterways are common property and therefore property of the people, the true public, not the state facade is the people. And therefore, if you're damaging the river, you're damaging the property of everybody around you. That's not acceptable. So we don't need to start trying to control what somebody does on their property, but we can say, you know what? See where your boundary ends. This is the commons, which is very, very, I mean, this is, This is as old as civilization itself. We don't need a, a really, you know, a 5,000-page law library to comprehend this. You've now damaged the property of others. You've now committed aggression. Yep, that's exactly right. I mean, I know that seems hard for people to grasp, but that, I mean, that is very much so that you're going back past biblical times that certain components of the land were considered common property of all people that exist within those lands. Yeah, that's right. So, um, do you get a lot of resistance to what you're saying? Because it's it's common sense, but I have found that, especially over the last 30 years of my lifetime, I have watched common sense become viewed as more and more radical. Well, I, I do uh, get quite a bit of resistance, um, but it, but again, I'm. I, I'm hoping to do more education than anything else. And so, you know, I use it as an opportunity to educate. And, and there are, there are some who, 
the way that the Planning and Zoning Commission works is that there are there's basically an appointment from each of the districts within our county, and then there are some at-large um, seats. And the people that fill the at-large seats, for the most part, they've been on there for, you know, 30 years or 20 years or something like that, you know, and they, they remember back when, you know, it was three revisions ago and all this kind of stuff. And, and really, there's not a lot of change in their mind. Mm. Because they, you know, they're they're pretty much set the way it is. But those who are recently appointed, um, you know, and particularly if you've got a board of supervisors that are uh, wanting to allow for more property rights and freedoms and things like that, then they're going to appoint people that are like minded to these planning and zoning commissions. And, you know, that's how I got on there. And, and so there there is some resistance, especially by those who are, you know, the established the established lot. Um, and, and, uh, there again, I think there is, there is this underlying resistance of, well, we just can't let people do what they want to do. We have to have some kind of, we have to have some kind of restrictions on them. And, uh, and you know, that dealing with that is, um, is a real aggravation. And it, it's um, amazing but, that people would even say that at this point, because it's like, don't you think there's enough restrictions <laughs> I mean, if you just like, let's, okay, let's examine, like, so how many restrictions exist on a, a property owner because of us right now? You know, do we need yeah. any more whatsoever? So it, it would be interesting to see a list just from, and I'm not focused in it on just on your, your commission, but on any average planning commission out there, how many restrictions yeah. already are there and why are those restrictions there? And then let's examine, is the why legitimate? Is it illegitimate? Is it based on a fear that's preposterous, like some of the things you've already pointed out? Is it based on a fear that's real? Is there another way to address it while recognizing rights? Instead of just going, oh, my God, if we let everybody do what they want, it'll be terrible. While we you know, put up our finger and say number one and we're the freest nation on the earth, and then all the people that are supposed to be our leading servants – are worried about saying we can't just let people do what they want in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's funny. I, I, I actually used that on a couple of occasions. There was one particular event. I don't remember what the issue was particularly, but um, I actually brought up all the state and federal requirements for this business to actually open its doors. And, I mean, it was a list a mile long. And I said, and you're telling me that we want to put another one on? <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. And I, I said, I said, you know what it actually makes you want to do? It makes you not want to go into business. And I said, you know, we want more businesses here. And here we are trying to put more restrictions on them. I said, uh, you know, the very least we could do is make it easy for them at the county level uh, to go into business. And so I have used that. Uh, and I actually used an example, just a, a um, you know, a made up example of when we were talking about the sign ordinance and there was a one of the requirements was that a road sign had to be over seven feet tall and it couldn't be like, you know, six feet from the road and you know, all these different kinds of things. So it was safer for people driving on the road or whatever. And so, uh, you know, I used that as a particular example in the pole sign. And I said, let's suppose that my son who likes soccer wanted to start a soccer camp in the summertime. We have enough acreage that he, you know, he mowed the field really good and put up some soccer, soccer field uh, there and some goalposts and all this kind of stuff. And, and uh, he, he started marketing this. He put a little sign out on the road saying, you know, soccer camp here and a little arrow and all this kind of stuff and started marketing and getting people there. And I said, who would be opposed to that? And, of course, I deliberately put it 
so that the pole was taller than what was required on the standard and all this kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's like, well, you know, I don't see any reason why he couldn't do that. And the, <laughs> the, uh, the staff your, person. Your regulation actually, says he can. Yeah. Well, the, the staff person that was actually, uh, she's on staff. She's actually a paid full time person who's the planning and zoning administrator. Uh, she said, well, not only could you not do that, that would be a violation on a lot of other issues because you haven't got a permit to have a field there and you blah, 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 blah. And I said, see, this is the problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I said, not only would he, would he be in violation, I mean, to pop it off, he couldn't put a sign there, but he would have had to have gone through a whole summer worth of paperwork just to get the field up and running on our property. And we're agriculturally zoned, so that would have to be a conditional use permit. I mean, it was just well, it was an aggravation. Well, I think this lady just said. You can't have a field in the middle of a field unless say you can have a field in the middle of your field. I mean, that's literally right. what she's saying. And the thing is, is. don't blame her. She's paid right. to tell you what the law says, and that's she's telling right. you what yeah. the law is. As stupid as it is. So what you're saying yeah. is, I can have my field, and I can have wheat or weeds or rye or soy or whatever growing in it. And if I want to cut it short, I can. But if I want to put up some poles and let kids run around and kick balls there, I can't. No. Yeah, that's right. Why not? Because you need a conditional <laughs> use permit to have a field in the middle of a field. If yeah, you build right. it, they and won't that... come because the permit says they can't. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And so, you know, you have to deal with some of that kind of stuff. And so you have to – I found that one of the things is to have a sense of humor. And my, my family gets frustrated because I come back from these, from these meetings and I, you know, I'm just frustrated as all get out because I've dealt, I, you know, I've dealt two hours with people sure. trying to do this kind of stuff. And so, you know, I come back frustrated, but the next day I kind of wake up and I'm like, you know what? It's kind of funny. Dude, I mean, in a, in a sad way that, that people think this way and that, you know, that's the way it is, but you know, it is. And so we have to deal with it. And so I've learned to have a, a sense of humor and take the victories that we have and, and go with them as they are. So. Well, you, you have to, to do that. It's, it's a lot like when I was still in corporate America. You, 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 at times you just have to laugh because otherwise you'll cry and then you don't get anything done while you're crying. Um, yeah, that's I guess right. we've tried to convince ourselves that, that we can have our children sit around and cry and accomplish things in life, but it doesn't really work that way, does it? <laughs> right. That's all right. Yep. So, um, if somebody wanted to get involved, What are the different ways, based on what you've seen, whether it's running for election, trying to get appointed, how could somebody get into a position like you're in? Um, and I'm sure it's different everywhere, but what is just some advice you have for the person that says, I think I could do that? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I couldn't, because I'd go nuts. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'd flip a gasket like, and tell everybody to piss off immediately. That's just what would happen. But there are people that are good at this or would be good at this. So what avenue should they seek so that they can do what you're doing? Yeah, well, let me, uh, first of all, preface this by saying sometimes when I'm in a meeting, I have to write down how to, how to start my conversation <laughs> so that I don't, so I don't blow a gasket like you yeah. say, because I'm likely to just come out in a tirade, but I have to calm myself down and write down how I'm going to start the introduction and be gracious when I do it. So I, I come across as somewhat, uh, congenial at least but um let me before i answer your question let, let me first of all just say and i think probably most people understand this but um we can have a lot greater effect at a local level than we can at the federal level i mentioned this when we first got started but you know it's not the federal government that tells us that we can't have chickens in our backyard it's the local government 
Mm-hmm. And it's not, uh, you know, it's not the federal government that says that you have to, you know, keep bushes between you and the business next to you. It's the local government that says that. It's not the government that says that you have to have a tree edge or you have to, you know, uh, replant certain things or plant certain stuff in the various locations. That's local ordinances that require that. And so we can, we can make a difference at a local level and a real difference. And, and the other thing is, is that, you know, we're dealing with people who are your neighbors. I mean, let's face it. If, if Trump gets elected, the, 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 the closest affinity I have with Trump is I've been to New York a couple of times and he owns <laughs> property in New York. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to be able to affect Trump and Hillary's worse. I mean, I, I, you know, I've never really, I, I don't really have, I mean, she grew up, I mean, she's got New York connections, but, um, I don't really, I can't relate to those people. There's certainly no way I'll take my call, but I, I have on my phone, the board of supervisors for my district's phone number in my phone. I can call him up. He sends me an email after every meeting, as he does with everybody else in his in his district. So it's not just me that's special. So we can actually have a difference at the local level because it still is local. And so uh, I do want to encourage all the listeners to get involved. And the most simple step that you can do is every county or every jurisdiction, local jurisdiction, has a website. And I, I think they have to publish the minutes of last meeting and the agenda for the upcoming meeting. Find out what they talked about, what they're planning on talking about. If it's of interest to you, go to the meeting. And, you know, I have been to, well, some of the planning and zoning commissions, again, we live in a a small rural county, but there have been times where at our meetings, there is one person from the public there. And during public comment section, I mean, she or he's able to say what, you know, pretty much whatever they want. And, and because there's no one else there to talk about it. And then I've been to board of supervisors meeting. And other than the people that have to be there, like the superintendent of schools and all this kind of stuff, there's maybe a handful of people at the board of supervisors. meeting. And so it's not like you're having to compete for time with thousands of other people that want to show up and, and say something. Yeah. And, and so I think that's can, very variable too, because like, I've seen footage of like LA County, which is just insane. Oh yeah. And during right. public comment, the, the, the legislators can't leave. There was actually a big stink mm. when they tried to leave one time. I'm like, no, you, you can't do that. You, this is part of our charter, but they're sitting there doing their taxes or writing right. letters or playing on their iPod. They're absolutely not paying attention. But I think in a smaller venue, like you can't, the, the closer you are to someone as far as proximity of, of living and life and interaction, the less you can, you can get away with being rude, just to be blunt. Like, right. you can't be rude to somebody constantly if, if they live down the road from you without having, you know, some immediate localized karma. Right. Where, where the guy from the LA County Commission feels like, I'll never see this guy again. I don't care. He's probably talking about space aliens. I'm going to. Yeah, I want to buy, let's see, uh, Domino's Pizza tonight. I'm going to want pepperoni. I mean, that's literally what they're doing. Sure. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, yeah, I mean, probably the most important principle there is start as, as local as you can be. So if it's, you know, if it's a, a, God forbid, a homeowner's association, go to a homeowner's association meeting. I mean, that's that's about as local as you're going to get. Uh, of course, you and I probably agree with this. Don't do it. Let me say something that'll freak people out. If we got rid of city government, county government, state government, and federal government, I think homeowner associations were great. 
Because right. that people would choose exactly what they have in their little neighborhood, and the next neighborhood over, you could just go away. And then you would have to get to, to, to establish a homeowners association, unless you're doing a new build and it's conditional upon buying it. If you go into existing neighborhoods, you pretty much have to get everybody 100% buy-in to do it. Because one part you can do it, but then that one person that didn't sign on to it, you have no influence on them whatsoever. Can't do anything. Sorry. Just I'm not part of what yeah. you're doing. We have a listener named, uh, well, her uh, handles roundabouts. And the whole neighborhood around her, she's got like a little 10-acre farm at like the back of a subdivision, formed an HOA. And they just told them, you know what, we don't do that. And they'll come around once in a while and say, you know what, uh, you're violating. I'm not violating anything because I'm not part of what you do. And there's the square root of mm-hmm. nothing they can do about it. But you're right. If it's already there, then you have to influence that. Because you were saying, you know, the county is the one saying you can't have the you have to have bushes or whatever it is. But that's if you're in out just with the county, right? If you're in a city government, yeah. the city governments right. are insane. And these some of these small towns, you're like, how do you have time to worry about this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. One of the one of the best cities. Uh, and you you've probably been there, so you might be able to verify on this. But one of the best cities for for property rights is Houston, Texas. They actually have no central planning and zoning. Yeah, they literally uh, have everything no is based upon. Yeah, that's right. They have everything is based upon you know uh, various covenants and you know things like that, which I, I would much prefer than to have a centrally planned planning and zoning because at least then you've got diversification and you might be a, a, a go to the neighborhood right down the street and have different ones. And so it does allow for more diversification. So start as small as possible is the point there. And then, you know, go to the meetings, find out what they're doing. And I'm just going to use like uh, the rural board of supervisors meeting kind of as an explanation, because that's what I'm most familiar with. But uh, in most cases, there is a, a sign up sheet on the back as you walk in that you need to sign up. If you want to be a speaker, you may, you may not want to speak at all the first time or at all ever. But if you want to speak, you need to sign up because they won't recognize you as a speaker if you haven't signed up on the sheet to speak. Got and it. then when it comes your turn, if you want to speak or not, you can always decline your opportunity to speak. But if you haven't signed up, they won't allow you. So, um, you know, you can speak on the issue. And if you already know in advance by looking on the website what the agenda is going to be, then you know what it is that you can prepare to, to bring your message on. And And just as I'm trying to do, you know, you may not be able to persuade anybody there, but just bring something educational-wise, an alternative to what they're currently doing that is less violent and um, and aggresses upon less people or whatever, and and use that as a platform to speak. And uh, if you do it over and over and over again, uh, you know, it, it may work. One of the things I'm doing personally uh, that I, I'm trying to work on on developing is to to develop a a type of uh, a redirection of my taxes. I homeschool, and so we don't, you know, we don't support the the government school locally at all, uh, other than I have to because my tax money goes there. So what I'm trying to do is I'm actually trying to uh, develop a, a way for homeschoolers that are opposed to the government school to redirect that percentage of their tax dollars to go to something else within the county. Now again, I'd prefer they don't take any of my money and any of my property, but if I could choose where it goes, that would be better than nothing. And so, um, I'm trying to work on, uh, work on doing that. But so, so that's pick a awesome. project, you know, that's, try to, try to that, go into it. Do you know that that's right out of like a future looking Richard Bach novel? 
being, no, I didn't which, know that. yeah, there's this, I can't remember the name of the, the, cause like he has two really great ones and then everything else is like second to those. So I don't really remember those, but he's a great writer. And he, he writes about this thing where somehow he ends up like transported into the future and there is, you know, there's, there's still government, there's still taxes, but every taxpayer basically gets a list of all the departments. And they can say, like, I want to put 100% in that one department. Or they can say, I want to 10 here, 20 there. And they can allocate where their taxes go. And yeah. it yeah, takes fantastic. entire segments of government and just strips it to nothing because no one wants it. So nobody nobody agrees to have their money go there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and at least, at least that way, it's really a public service. Sure. Because the public wants it. If the public is paying for it, they're going to determine if they want it or not by the amount of you know, revenue going to it. And, you know, if, if there's three people that want to support the public school or the government school, well, then maybe we need to reexamine whether or not there should be a public school. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I would prefer that. I don't think it's going to pass and no. I don't think to get much headway. But nonetheless, it might entertain some ideas in people's minds. And, you know, if, if I went into the idea saying uh, the 60 percent of my property tax dollars is currently going to the government schools, I'll give it to the fire department. Well, I might get some fire people there excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think another thing we can look at with this is kind of, you kind of alluded to this. It, it is the, 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 the smaller governments that are creating the greatest tyranny in the world today. They, they really are. I mean, the, the worst tyranny is being done right. to HOAs. And then you would say yeah, states and then counties and then state and then federal in that order. As far as property rights, there's things the federal government's doing that's, so beyond what any county uh, level thing is doing, but it's in a different space. And what that means is there might be federal regulation or state regulation that technically says that, you know, Farmer Joe down the road is not allowed to do the things that he's doing. But unless Farmer Joe's like a really big thing, the the state and the Fed don't have time to jack with him. And if the county basically says it's okay... Then it kind of creates a buffer. It's, it's gotten harder and harder for small governments to actually create a buffer from the next level up. That's the way we were supposed to be designed. But what's happened instead is it's a, it's a backwards. So instead of the state saying, you know what? We're nullifying that. What the state says is, Oh, here's all these great federal laws. Let's add to them. And then the county says, look at all these great <laughs> exactly. state laws. Let's add to them because politicians have been convinced that they're doing good because they're passing legislation. And right. instead of like repealing legislation or passing disruptive legislation that says, you know what, in our county we're going to do things our way, and then let the state fight that. Because you're going to find that these bigger bodies of government, they actually rely on these lower level enforcers to do their will. So when right. the federal government makes a marijuana bus, they haven't done that for a while, they're kind of throwing the talent on it. But when they used to do that, it was, you know, there'd be like, one DEA or two DEA agents there, and it would all be local law enforcement grading the dispensary that was given the permit by the state. Well, if the state just said, you know what, good luck, you're on your own, it gets to the point where they're like, well, um, how much of this can we afford to do? And, and so I think that that's another way differences can be made is by effectively nullifying by not enforcing and just deciding we're not going to put our resources there. That doesn't make the problem go away, but it makes it a lot less of a problem. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. 
Well, uh, Jack, let me ask you a question and see if I, I, I didn't prepare you for this. You didn't prepare me for this, but <laughs> I, I, there's a, there's a big issue coming up here in our county that is, um, kind of an ongoing one over the next several years. There's a reservoir being built by a neighboring county in our county to kind of divert some water from the uh, James River that flows at the northern edge of our county. And so they're building this reservoir to trap the water and then they're going to release it back in when they take more extra water from the river. And it's kind of complicated. But the bottom line is that it could create a great deal of development in our county. Mm. And, um, and so, uh, of course, some people want to say, well, we need to you know, tap into that and create all kinds of extra zoning and what can and cannot be used and all this kind of stuff. And of course, I'm trying to look at it from a liberty mind and think, how can we, how can we allow the property owners in and around that area to have as much liberty as they want in going forward? And I'm not sure how to do that. Um, Interesting. And, uh, and so I, I don't know if any of the listeners uh, would want to give me some advice on that. I, I'm, I've been trying to read as much as I possibly can on uh, on local liberty options for governance, and there's not a lot out there. Well, and here's so, kind of how I would approach that. I would I would simply ask: Do do we first of all do, would we like development in our county? Would we like to see an increase in the tax revenue base, and and would we like to see more people living here? I think that everybody will probably nod their heads. Yes, they would. And then I'd say, well, when all these people come here, would we like them to be people that are there because that reservoir is there and they're basically tourists that come and go and don't really have a vested interest in what we're doing? Or would we like them to be people that become members of our community and, 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 and help make where we are a better place? So you, you ask questions that are leading, right? So then that leads right, exactly. to, yeah, we would prefer that they're, okay, and if they're going to be here, given we're relatively small and there's only so much industry and business here, do we want some of them to be people that actually create businesses and are entrepreneurs and hire people and thereby grow us economically and make us more viable? Or do we want them to all be people seeking jobs that are already limited? Well, there's only yeah. one way to answer that question unless you have your brain on the outside of your head or something, right? So then you say, well, then fundamentally what we need to understand is that money goes where it's treated well. And the better we treat the money that comes in and allowing them the ability to build businesses and develop economically, whether they're small farm businesses or manufacturing businesses or what have you, as long as it's done in a way that's consistent with what we're looking for our place to look like and appear like to, to people that come here, then we want to treat their money as well as we possibly can. And every time we create a regulation or a rule, we actually treat their money more negatively. And since these would be people of enough means to come in and choose to be here, if you treat their money poorly, they'll go somewhere else. Right. So do you want the people to come in here to be business-oriented people that do good businesses and good things for our community, or do you want a bunch of tourists that just see us as a place to flop for the summer, or do you want it to be a bunch of people competing for the economics that we already have? Right. Maybe I would be good at this. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd snap, though, because when somebody said, well, that's not that simple, you're a moron. But, it, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's kind of how I look at it. If you, what you're concerned with is the, so either you want the development or you don't, and you may not. But if you want right. the development, well, that's, that's it's the not an opportunity to saddle everybody that's already there with more crap. Then it's an opportunity right. to think about how could we be very attractive to the type of productive citizen that we want to be part of our county. 
And we're not going to be attractive by telling them all the stuff they can't do. We would be attractive if we told them all the things they could do because there's probably somebody somewhere right around here right now that wants to start a small farm or wants to start a small business and they're being hindered by the surrounding county. So if we become a beacon of freedom, then those people would come here and start their businesses and run their enterprises and hire the people that are already here and drive our economic engine. Or we can just do what everybody else does so that we are not attractive. You know, we can either put a light on in the dark or we can turn our light off and all look the same. It's up to you. Right. Yeah, that's good. It's all crazy talk. It's an anarchist. (laughs) A realistic, pragmatic one, you know. Right. Yeah, my only my only fear would be that uh, we end up uh, compromising. The compromise is worse than what we have. Yeah. But anyway, that's a, that's an ongoing project. So, um, you know, uh, anybody got any great ideas, they're welcome to contact me with that. And, and I will uh, see what I can do to implement that here in our county. <laughs> it's complicated. So that's great. You've got this this other county taking the action that's causing the reaction. Right. right? And you have no say in exactly how they do that. But I guess it. It's creating a is it creating a reservoir boundary that comes into your county or is it I mean how does it actually well, the whole you? the whole reservoir is actually in our county okay and um, the, the way that it's working is that they are developing pumps and they're during the spring when their water is flowing high in the James they're going to pump water from the James River into the reservoir I got you and then and then in the in the summer when it when and if there's a drought. Uh, then they're going to pump water out of the reservoir into the river so that downriver they can actually extract more water for their county. Gotcha. gotcha. Makes sense. Yeah, it makes So actually the, the whole reservoir is in the county, but the complication is, and, and this, this is the, <laughs> you'll laugh at this too, the way that the governments work is that the actual water is, is under the property of Henrico County, which is the, the county doing the reservoir. And they have, uh, of course, they have some property around the reservoir for access to the dam and things like that. And then they're, uh, they have some other property that they're allowing our county to develop for, um, like recreational use, fishing piers and things like that. Um, but our county can't, our county has to maintain it but we can't charge a fee for it. <laughs> and then there's, and then there's other property around it, of course, that is owned by, you know, individuals and things like that. And then they can, uh, there's a, there's a very small, uh, waterway setback that they're not allowed to, you know, work on and things like that. But for the most part, they're, they're pretty flexible on what they can do around the reservoir. Amazing. Um, so in, in other words, what I, what I said on that is that what's going to happen is that the, those recreational areas are going to be disaster. Because we're not going to have the funds to keep them up, and uh, Henrico's not going to want to do it because they're going to say it's our problem, and um, you know people are going to complain to us all the time saying that there's no access and it's bad and you know the grass is too tall and all this kind of stuff, and and but that's the tragedy of the commons, so to speak. When no one owns it, um, it doesn't ever get taken care of. So. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a, a tough one. It sounds like it's too complex for us to come to an immediate decision uh, as to what you could do right now. But right. it does give right. an example of the type of complexities. And I think that's part of the problem is that people don't realize 
some of the times people in government are doing things that look stupid because their hands are tied by other people in government doing something stupid. And they, they have to be reactionary because they're, they've reached the limit of what they can do proactively. And now they re- have to react, react, you know, react to something that's somewhere else in the system. Um, right. But hey, you've got a blog that people can check out, right? Yeah, well, the, probably the best place to, uh, I don't blog a whole lot about what I do at the, um, at the commission level. All my stuff can actually be found at stevedonahue.net. And I'm sure you'll put a link there. But I, I, like I said, I've done a podcast. I've got like something, 200 and something episodes up of a podcast called the Legacy Podcast. It's kind of modeled after yours, only not nearly as good. And, uh, I've been a pastor for a while, so I have some sermons up there and things like that. And I have some, some uh, liberty-minded issues that I've talked about and uh, things like that. I did a homeschool podcast where I've got a few episodes of that, and I've got my business link and all that. Um, but if they wanted to contact me, there's obviously contact uh, information on that web page, and so um, they can they can get a hold of me that way. Well, Steve, I appreciate you being with us, and I appreciate the work that you're doing for Liberty Inside It System that uh, doesn't generally work that way. And uh, it sounds like you're making some good headroom, so I appreciate you, and thank you for being on the show with us today. Yeah, thank you, Jack. And one last thing, if I may, and I'm, I'm hoping that I am, I am saying this uh, to the people that don't need to hear it, but um, just one, one reminder, and that is that especially at the local level, all enforcement of codes and violations of codes is done on a complaint basis. Mm-hmm. So please, please do not be one of those neighbors that calls and says, oh, my neighbors had their car up on a block for three weeks, and that's a violation of a code. Can you come check it out? Because that's, that's how more ordinances and, and uh, enforcement of all these things take place. So um, if you want people to uh, practice liberty in your community, then don't report them when they're doing a violation unless it actually is and something that is harming another neighbor. I mean, so, and try to resolve it yourself. A great story you reminded me of. I had a friend who um, complained because in uh, the city of Arlington, if you have a six-foot you know, wooden privacy fence, is what everybody has, there's actually, mm-hmm. they've stated, you know, when a, when a fence goes out of repair, there's a certain angle. If it leans past a certain angle, it's considered no longer in good repair, and it has to be corrected. But as you said, there's nobody driving around with a freaking protractor, right. you know, examining fences. Well, he was irritated that a couple of his neighbors had fences that were leaning. And instead of doing something like, hey, can I help you fix your fence, he called code enforcement. So the code right. enforcement guy comes, and he goes up and down the, the whole neighborhood to be fair, incites everybody with a violation on the fence. He then looks in the back of everybody's yard, look in the, looks in the back of my buddy's yard, and my buddy has basically a covered porch off one side of the house that was wonderful Uh-oh. because it was where in the summertime, in the, in the afternoon, everything was shaded and cool. And it was, you know, the guy that had the house before him just kind of poured a concrete foundation and put up some poles and put up some, you know, roofing material like you'd buy at Home Depot. Well, something about it wasn't a code. So not only did he get slighted, he had to take down the, he had to keep the patio. They didn't make him jackhammer that out, but he had to take down the cover. So now that side of the house was baking in the sun, you know, all, all summer long in the afternoon when it used to be a great place to sit out, drink a beer and cook a a burger. Had he not (laughs) marked out his neighbor, then that would have never, it had been there for 20 years and no one ever had a problem with it. But it was, right. it was, it was that the bureaucrat went, well, you know what? I can get my whole quota for the month right here. 
and I won't have to worry about it anymore unless somebody yep. calls and bitches. So he did. And so when you invite, yep. if you invite a fox into your hen house, he just might eat all your chickens, not the two you told him he could have. That's right. Man. Yeah, that's right. It's the, it's the old proverb that the fool digs the ditch that he himself will fall into. So don't <laughs> dig the ditch. <laughs> don't dig the ditch and don't dig your grave either, man. Again, thank you for being with us today, Stephen. Yeah, thank you, Jack. Okay, great interview and a great guy doing the best that he can in a situation that, uh, I, again, I don't think I am, you know, you cut out to do. Uh, and I have to admire that and respect that in others when they can do something that I can't or maybe I couldn't do very well because, well, I don't have the temperament for it. Uh, with that, if you enjoyed today's show and you like all the work we do, consider supporting us by joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you'll help support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents per episode. That's 50 bucks a year or $5 a month if you want to join monthly. Remember, you can try it and join for a month, five bucks. If you don't think it's worth it, then you can cancel. Or you can decide to cancel and then change up and join for a year because you really think it's worth it. If you do, you're going to get great stuff like every episode of the Survival Podcast ever produced, all the way back to episode 001 in convenient zip files, over $200 worth of free ebooks, and discounts to over 60 different vendors providing the stuff you're probably buying anyway with a membership that pays for itself. Why wouldn't you consider joining? Please do. It is how I'm able to provide this great content to you. Next up, the other way you can help us is really simple. I mean, it's so simple. There's no good reason if you listen to the show not to do it. When you're going to buy something on Amazon, instead of just going to Amazon, Amazon.com, go to TSPAS. That's right, T-S-P-A-Z, TSPAS.com. You'll type in one less letter. You'll get to Amazon. It'll look like Amazon always does. You'll search for your stuff. You'll buy your stuff. You'll get your stuff. It won't cost you a dime, and we'll get credit for the sale. Um, again, not a, there's really not a good reason to not do that if uh, you like the programming that we're giving you. It's the easiest way ever that you could help support the work we do at thesurvivalpodcast.com. Let me throw out a request, too. Please share what we're doing. Please share what we're doing with other folks because that's how this show grew to what we are. And I'm, I'm looking together to put a new version of the Listener Appreciation Contest together like we did when we got started out. I'm going to reach out and try to make it really, really worth your while to share the show with folks. And remember, we always do that on the honor system even when we run a contest. You say you share the show, we believe you because we believe that we do you know, business on honor here at the Survival Podcast. On that, I believe in doing business with other members of this community whenever I can. Uh, so we have the TSP Business Directory where your business can be featured to our entire audience of 150000 for a starting price of 5 bucks a year. How great is that? Today's featured uh, uh, supporter of the directory is Dynasty Wealth Partners. They're experts in infinite banking concept developed by Nelson Nash. They can help you ditch the banking system. Their strategies are based on sound Austrian economics. Check them out in the TSP Business Directory. And remember, if you do business with somebody in the directory, please leave a review. That helps everybody, both the providers and supporters and the other members of our community. I believe in a free market, and a free market has to have freedom to speak and say this was great or this was bad. Or this was bad, and then the provider comes back and says, let me make it right, and then they do. And then you say, yes, I trust that person. That's the way we're heading a truly open free market. The Internet is enabling that, and I'm glad that we're part of it with tspbiz.com. You can take it straight to the TSP Business Directory. That brings us to our song of the day, and a lot of times I bring you older music. Today I'm going back to before I was even born. I was born in the very early 70s. This song is from the middle 60s. In fact, it was released on August 5th, 1966. It's part of the British invasion, I guess, you know, because it was the Beatles. 
That's a perfect song for today's show. Taxman, right? We talked about government today and the taxman. I, I, I know many of you, most of you have heard this song or recuts and re, you know, renewed versions of it and reggae stuff that they've done versions of it and punk rock versions of it and stuff. This is the original, though. It was written by George Harrison. And uh, the lines, I think, a lot of times get glossed over because people just hear, taxman, right? Okay, so um, the opening stanza, let me tell you how it will be. There's one for you, 19 for me, because I'm the taxman. Yeah, I'm the taxman. Isn't that how government is? Let me tell you how it will be. That, that's exactly. And should 5% appear too small, be thankful I don't take it all. Because I'm the tax man. Yeah, I'm the tax man. If you drive a car, I'll tax the street. If you try to sit, I'll tax your seat. If you get too cold, I'll tax the heat. If you take a walk, I'll tax your feet. And then the last stanza before the close. Now my advice for those who die, declare the pennies on your eyes. Because I'm the tax man. Yeah, I'm the tax man. For those that think any of the battles for liberty and freedom and oppression by government are new in this country, let me remind you again, this song was a hit when it was released in 1966. Let me tell you how it will be. There's one for you and 19 for me. But we don't have to let it be that way. There are ways to fight the tax man. We talked about those many times before. We'll talk about them again. But it's understanding their system and using their own rules and their own regulations and their own methods against them. Becoming a business owner, becoming an entrepreneur. That's a big part of what we need to do. And guess what? We're going to be talking about that next week for the Tuesday show because that's what you wanted it to do, determining the business that you should start for yourself. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Let me tell you how it will be. Streets, you try.